0: Coming to Chicago is a particular joy to me. I uh, I have a good deal of history in this city. My great grandfather labored for the Lord here, received the Holy Ghost right here in Chicago. Amen. Uh, the Urshan family experience of the Holy Ghost happened right here in Chicago. And so I have a great fondness for this city and I am so honored to be here at this great Pentecostal church Amen Thank the Lord Pastor and Sister Cox we honor you God bless you we honor you and thank you for welcoming all of us into this place Amen and there's a, a revival happening in this great metroplex and i want to honor these uh, great pastors that have come together to have unity and uh, when i first received the invitation to come and be a part of this meeting i i was so thankful because this is very near and dear to my heart i've watched unity grab hold of a city in cincinnati i know what can happen when when that takes place when people begin to work together, labor together and come into this great understanding that that we are part of the same team reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Collaborating, not competing. It's, It's a wonderful thing to experience. And I commend the men and women of God of this city and the great fellowship of saints that have come together to make this a reality. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when I, when I accepted the invitation, I was excited because I love to talk about unity. But I really feel that the Spirit of the Lord is directing me in such an interesting way because I, I, I think you already get how beautiful unity is. And I don't think anybody has to convince you of that, because you're here, and you're excited about it, and you're a part of it, and you're going to see it unfold. Amen. But I feel led of the Lord just to talk to you about some things of the Spirit, some principles that, that, uh, that God will, will put into our spirit and help us to, to be closer to Him and to live for Him and to work for Him. And so I want to turn your attention tonight to the Word of the Lord, and uh, I want to speak, if I may, into your spirit, some things God has put into mind from the book of Revelation chapter 5 and from the book of Isaiah chapter 11. If you would like to stand, you're certainly more than welcome to do that uh, for the reading of the Word. Revelation chapter 5, and uh, we're going to uh, read verses 5 and 6, and then we will look to the book of Isaiah chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. I want to read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. And I want you to keep in mind these seven spirits of God that are symbolized by the seven eyes and the seven horns of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. And here we see these seven spirits in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom The spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness Shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth? And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. The rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. In other words, his word shall he slay the wicked. And I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight on this subject, the sevening of the saints. The sevening of the saints. Could we just lift up our voice and ask God to help us tonight to hear His Word and to receive His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your presence that is so rich, deep in this place. I pray, God, that You would allow Your Word to have free course. Help us, O God, to draw nearer to You. Help us, O God, to become... All that you have ordained us to be. Help us. Help us. God, command the blessing upon this, your people. Hallelujah. We give you praise and we honor you and we honor your word and we ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to move through the preaching of your word tonight in the precious and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for all that you're doing tonight to be so in tune with the Holy Ghost. Amen. God's doing something beautiful here. If I were to go around the room and, and just randomly ask you to pick a number between one and 10, a fun little game that, that uh, perhaps most of us have played occasionally. Uh, Somebody has a number in the back of their mind and they tell you to pick a number 1 through 1 and 10, between 1 and 10. And uh, whoever gets the closest is going to get whatever chance or prize or what have you. And uh, you may have just a random number. You might just pick something right off the top of your head. But if you're really spiritual, you know what number to pick. If you're really tuned in, you know what number to pick. We have an affinity for this number seven. We, uh, we, we just do. And and uh, it's it, sometimes we, you know, we don't even know how to explain it. If somebody were to ask you, you might respond with something like, it's God's perfect number. Or you might say, it's God's favorite number. Uh, when, when things come to us in sevens, we get excited, like it's some kind of confirmation or something. We ordered a six-piece chicken nugget at Chick-fil-A and... Uh, they put a seventh one in, and we say, "Look at God! I mean, the blessings just keep on coming. Hallelujah! Something about that number, and and we I, we do get excited about it. And uh, anytime we get a chance to to pick or to choose what number we want for something." Why? Chances are we might get as close to that as we can, and it, it's just something that has lasted with us, and it has uh, been throughout the Word of God. That number just keeps emerging in the Scriptures, and and I want to say before I go any further, I want you to know that there's no mysticism to the number. It's not a mystical number. It's not. There's no special thing about it. It's not a, In terms of its the power of the number itself, uh, there's nothing mystical. Uh, nothing superstitious. We ought not be superstitious about any numbers. Uh, we are not a superstitious people. And uh, so we, we want to take the mysticism out of that number or or any number. Uh, but it is symbolic. And there are reasons why it is symbolic in the scripture. It it's, itself does not contain any power, but it does represent something that has quite a bit of power. And so it is used in the scriptures Again, not superstitiously or mystically, but symbolically because it is expressing something of, of a heavenly nature. And I, and I want to talk about that. It is very prominent throughout the scriptures. The Bible talks about seven golden candlesticks in the tabernacle. The book of Proverbs describes the fact that wisdom hath hewn out her seven Pillars, there are seven feasts of the Lord that he required of Israel. That there were seven churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia. There were seven stars in the right hand of him who walked among the seven golden candlesticks in the visions of John the Revelator. Jesus made seven statements upon the cross, and I could go on. I could list a number and a variety of different ways that this number was utilized throughout the scriptures to illustrate something very special about God. And and yet, perhaps the granddaddy of all references to seven are the days of creation themselves. The days of creation, you could go through each one of these these days and, and find something significant within the days of creation where God created and, and used his power, his word, his spirit to create. And, and we could certainly do that. Uh, and, and, of course, upon the finalizing of the creation on the sixth day, God still wasn't done. He entered into a day of rest. And that day of rest was just as significant to the creative order as anything else was. And, and so those seven days of creation are perhaps the, uh, the penultimate, the preeminent reference to the seven uh, as it relates to the nature of God. But I want to point out to you that, that all of these sevens, the golden candlesticks, the pillars of wisdom, and the days of creation, they all have their roots in, in heaven. And anything that you see on earth that is of a unique nature as it relates to God, it is is symbolizing something that is established in the heavens. And and because it is established in the heavens, it has such significance on earth. And, And we read about the seven in this book of Revelation. And the Bible talks about the Lamb. Amen. The Lamb. And this Lamb, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lamb. Uh, It is the Lamb that, that John saw who came to the Jordan River and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And this is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And by that we mean that before God created anything, He had in his mind, in his thoughts, in his perfect wisdom, the slaying of the Lamb. He knew before he created anything that there would be a pathway of salvation for man to step up out of his fallen condition. Now you have to know that God didn't want man to fall, but God knew man would fall and the reason he knew man would fall is because it's because he was going to create man in his image and in creating man in his image he had to give man something about himself that if man didn't have this he would not be made in the image of god and that thing man had was his free will somebody said why did god even put the garden the tree of the knowledge good and evil in the garden Well, because if he didn't give man a choice, man would not be made in the image of God. God has a choice. And he chooses to love us. Oh, he doesn't have to love us? Are you kidding? He doesn't have to love us. He doesn't have to show us any mercy. He doesn't have to save us. He could could just issue a a lightning bolt right now and blow us all up. And who's going to call him in on the carpet? Who's going to haul him into court? Who's going to sue God? God can do whatever he wants to do. God chooses to love us. That's what makes his grace so amazing. Is that he doesn't have to do it. But he does it anyway. And if we're going to be made in his image. We have to have a choice. And so while God made man in his image and he gave man dominion and he gave man authority, he knew that man would abuse that freedom. And so God giving man freedom was one thing, but he didn't just give man freedom. He gave man a way back into freedom once man abused the freedom. He gave him a way back into authority. He gave him a way back into dominion. Oh, he's a good God. And so before he created anything, deep in the recesses of the knowledge and the wisdom and the logos of God, there was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This this is why everything in creation reflects the message of the lamb. And let me remind you what the message of the Lamb is. It is His life, it is His death, it is His burial, and it is His resurrection. That is the message of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Before God did anything, the Lamb was slain in the perfect providence of God. And that's why you can... That's why, listen, that's why you can wake up in the morning and it'll be a beautiful sunrise. And it'll be this beautiful sunshine and it'll be a wonderful day and everything will be nice. And then as the day proceeds, the day will give way to a darkness and the darkness will begin to cover the earth and the darkness will stay there for an extended period of time. But don't be afraid of the darkness because the sun is going to shine again. God created the light, and God created the darkness, and the darkness he called night, and the light he called day, and the day and the night's rotation is a reflection of the message of the Lamb. Just as you see the sunrise in the morning, that's the life of the Lamb. And when the darkness sets in, that's the death of the Lamb. And its its extended position of darkness is the burial of the Lamb, And then the sun rising again is the resurrection of the Lamb. That's why the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. The knowledge that it's showing is the knowledge of the Lamb. You see it in the seasons. Not everybody... Not everybody gets seasons like we do here in the Midwest, but we get seasons. We, our good brothers and sisters from Florida come up and they like, to, they like to get a little feel for the snow and then head back to where it's warm. Leave all of us missionaries up here in the snow fighting the good fight of faith. But we know seasons come and go. And there's, some, there's a season where everything blossoms and blooms. And then it, it's, it's daylight and it's sunshine and it's summertime. And, and then something strange happens. The very leaves that begin to grow, they begin to, to die and break off. And they fall to the ground. And, and then a cold sets in. And that cold freezes the ground. And there's a, there's a death of, of, of what had grown in the spring. But don't be discouraged. It's going to rise again in just a few months. Everything is going to come back to life in just a few months. It is a reflection of the Lamb. Before God created those plants and those trees and that sun and that moon, there was a Lamb in His knowledge and in His wisdom that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's why when the Bible talks about the Son of God being with the Father, it's not talking about an eternal Son. It's talking about God foreseeing the Son that He would become to take away the sins of the world. So, so this, this lamb that we read about in the book of Revelation, John sees him in vision. And when he sees him, he says, there's something unique about this lamb. He has seven eyes and seven horns, which represent his, his, his ability to see, his insight, his wisdom, his knowledge, and it represents his authority, the eyes and the horns. And he said, but these were reflective and symbolic of the seven spirits of God. And these seven spirits of God when it talks about spirits it's it's referring to the breaths of god it's not talking about seven different entities or seven seven different beings it's it's one spirit it's one god it's it's one spirit but there are seven numa seven breaths of god and they have a distinct purpose in what they do and the prophet isaiah is foretelling this in isaiah chapter 11 and if we could put that up on the screen, I want you just to take a look at these seven spirits of God. And they are the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might or strength, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And these seven breaths of God, this is the this is the perfection of God. When these attributes of God are at full operational work, what you get as a result is completeness and wholeness and perfection. When the, it starts with the Spirit of the Lord. And from that comes wisdom. And from that comes understanding. And then counsel, and then might or strength, and then knowledge, and then the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the culmination of it all. This is why the wise man Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. What is the duty of man? What is the whole duty of man? The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. And I wish I had time to go into it, and I don't. But I'll just tell you that don't be fearful of fearing God. Fearing God is one of the most beautiful things you can do. I'm not talking about fearing other things. I'm talking about fearing God. And let me tell you something beautiful about fearing God. If you will fear God, you won't fear anything else. That's what this stuff will do for you. When the Spirit of the Lord gets on you and begins to develop wisdom in you and knowledge and understanding and counsel and might, you will fear only God. And you won't fear calamity. And you won't fear tragedy. And you won't fear cancer. And you won't fear COVID. And you won't fear betrayal. And you won't fear rejection. Perfect. There's that word perfect love casteth out fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the spirit that rested on Jesus in the Jordan River. When the spirit rested upon him, it was it came down as a dove. And, and, and the Bible describes the spirit resting upon him. That was a symbolic moment. Hallelujah. A symbolic moment that this multidimensional spirit of God was operating through the anointed one. Jesus Christ. Not a separate person. But everything listed here. The spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, or strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord was operating. You were looking at a perfect man. Complete, whole, perfect. Hallelujah. This is the spirit of the Lord. When God fills us with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's not just a simple moment where we speak in tongues a little bit, get a little thrill and a chill. And then we walk out and and go back to the way we were. No, when God fills us with his spirit, hallelujah, he begins to develop in us all of these qualities. This is why Paul encouraged Timothy, stir up the gift that is inside of you. God put a gift inside of you. Don't you let it lay dormant. Don't you receive of the Spirit of God and then never pray again and never worship again and never fellowship with the saints again and stop going to church. Don't you do something like that. No, because it's not just about receiving the Spirit of the Lord. It's about letting the Spirit of the Lord Perfect you by putting wisdom and knowledge and understanding and might and counsel and the fear of God. And you start walking again like the Son of God you are. You start living again like the anointed vessel you are. Hallelujah! I want you to know when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at who you and I are supposed to be. We don't know what a son of God is. We don't even have a clue how to be a son of God. We're so fallen. We're so broken. We're so damaged. We're so violated, we're so compromised, we don't, we don't have any idea. We've believed every lie of the adversary. So God said they don't know who they are. But 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 when you pray a little bit, you start getting a feel for it. This is why David stopped and said, Wait a minute, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is the Son of Man? that thou visitest him? Why did you make him just a little lower than the angels? Why did you crown him with loving kindness, with glory, and with honor? Why? Who is man? That's what David was trying to figure out because he realized we're not just some little speck on the map. We're not just supposed to live and grovel and die and move off the scene. No, there's something about man. And I need to figure it out. That's why God became came a man so he could show us who we were always supposed to be. That's why he walked on the water. You do know that's why he walked on the water. He didn't walk on the water to show off. He didn't walk on the water so he could do cool tricks. Now, if it were me, I may have been, one, you know, walking on the water to show everybody I could walk on the water. No, he didn't walk on the water to show them he could walk on the water. He walked on the water to show Peter that Peter could walk on the water. He multiplied the loaves and fishes so he could show a son of God has dominion. That's, that's why Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire and said, I threw three in. Why do I see a fourth man and why does he look like the son of God? He wasn't saying why does he look like Jesus. He was saying why does he look like someone who has authority and dominion over the fire? notice what the word of the lord says you can you can see where where these elements and these qualities are represented in proverbs chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. Notice this is going back to creation. The Lord by wisdom. There's a there's one of the breaths of God. The pneuma of God. By wisdom hath he founded the earth. By understanding. There's a breath of God. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge. There's one of the spirits of God or the breaths of God. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Proverbs chapter 8 verses 12 through 14. I by wisdom okay there's one of the breaths of God dwell with prudence and find out knowledge there's another breath of God of witty inventions the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate counsel there's one is mine and sound wisdom I am understanding I have strength. Hallelujah verse number 22 The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was when there were no depths I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water before the mountains were settled before the hills was I brought forth while as yet He had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. He's talking about the spirit of the Lord. In all of its multi-angular facets, wisdom, counsel, might, the fear of the Lord, understanding, knowledge, it was there. That's what moved upon the face of the waters. When the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, it wasn't just some, it wasn't just some little cloudy vagueness that went. No, it was counsel and understanding and knowledge and the fear of the Lord and might. It went across the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Hallelujah. I'm gonna tell you when the Spirit of God begins to move, it's, it's not just, it's not something elusive, it's not something vague or something untouchable or something you can't get a hold of. No, it is counsel and might and the fear of the Lord and knowledge and understanding. That's why you can't put it in a box. And try to figure it out and say, well, I thought thought the Spirit of God was going to move. I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God begins to move, He will do things that you don't even realize He's doing. And this was reflected all throughout the Scriptures. And it was usually reflected with the symbolism of seven. This is why when Naaman was looking for healing, he came to the prophet Elisha. And when he came to the prophet Elisha, he expected Elisha to come out and wave his hand over that sickness. And, and call upon his God to do something. And, and that's not what happened. Elisha didn't even come down and greet him. In fact, the Bible says he sent his servant Gehazi. Gehazi comes out to Naaman and says, I've got a message for you. The prophet says to go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Naaman said, that makes no sense whatsoever. Jordan River is a nasty river. I've got better rivers where I live. And I'm insulted and offended that he didn't come down and talk to me himself. His servant spoke sense to him and said, if he had told you some great thing, you would have done it. You came all this way. Why don't you just be obedient? And when it comes to the spirit of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, why don't you just be obedient? And know that God is up to something when you don't know what all he's up to. Naaman agreed, and he went down to the Jordan River, and he went down one time. And he came up, and nothing happened that he could really put his hands on. He goes down a second time, and there's nothing really happening. He goes down a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth time. But when he came up the seventh time, the Bible says that he had the flesh of a child. Not only did God stop the leprosy from doing any more damage, but God reversed the damage that the leprosy had done. want you to know that those seven dips were symbolic of the seven spirits of God. And I'm preaching to somebody who you may feel like Naaman where you can't get your head above water. You go down and come back up. You're praying but nothing seems to be happening. You're worshiping but nothing seems to be happening. You're being faithful but nothing seems to be happening. You're trusting God. You're being obedient, but nothing seems to be happening. I want you to know, don't underestimate what the Spirit of God is doing. He may be building strength in you. He may be building counsel in you. He may be putting wisdom inside of you. You keep on dancing, you keep on shouting, you keep on trusting, you keep on loving. I'm going to tell you, when the Spirit of the Lord has completely sevened you, you will be returned to the flesh of a perfect man. He will reverse every damaging effect of every transgression. Glory. When the Bible says... That God swore to Abraham. He swore to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation. When he said that, Pastor Cox. When he said, "I, I swear. That word swear is to seven oneself. There's a sevening in that swear. So when God swears to Abraham. He is telling him it shall be done. This is why you cannot get discouraged when God has you at a place of understanding, and he's building understanding in you, and what you really, you want strength, you want might, you want God to give you strength, and God said, no, no, I'm doing a Perfect work. This is what James meant when he said, Know ye not that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. God is doing a perfect work. I tell you, that's why he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and teachers and evangelists for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith unto a perfect man to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. He's sevening us. When he filled you with the spirit of the Lord, that was just the beginning. He's going to take you through a process where you're going to add to your faith virtue. And you're going to add to your virtue knowledge. And you're going to add to your knowledge knowledge. Temperance, and you're going to add to your temperance brotherly kindness, and you're going to add to your brotherly kindness, hallelujah, charity. You hear what I'm telling you? There's a process at work. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, hallelujah, easy to be entreated. There's a process, there's an order. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You you can be seated. You can be seated. You, You don't want to rush this process. You want God to fully form each of these beautiful qualities. Because you're going to need each one to be fully formed for the next season. God will show you things before he requires you to live it. When God starts giving you understanding, yeah, you ought to shout about it, but get ready. It's one thing to know it in theory. It's another thing to know it in experience. It's one thing to talk about He's a healer, but then it's another thing, hallelujah, to need His healing touch. But I want you to know That when God begins a work, he will perform it. And he will complete that which he has begun in you in the name of Jesus. Some of you are at a stage and you're like Naaman, you've been down three times in this water. You're, you're down in the water again. And you're thinking, man, didn't I just come down in this water? Didn't I just have to go submerge myself? And he's coming up again, gasping for air. Down you go again, Naaman. Coming up, gasping for air. Down you go. I'm not done doing a work in you. It's going to be a sevening of the saints. Hallelujah. But every time you come up, you come up with one more layer. You may go down and you might be a little concerned about what's going on under these waters. But when you come up, you come up with understanding. You go down, but when you come up, you come up with the fear of the Lord. When you go down, you come up with strength. I need some saints of God who have been through some things and know that what I'm telling is the truth. That God is perfecting you. Let me tell you how good God is. You say, but Brother Urshan, what if I stepped away during the process? Let me tell you how good God is. God can take your backslidden condition. And the moment you put it in his hands, he'll turn it into wisdom. The moment. You say, but I'm backslid, I'm carnal. Some think I'm reprobate. I'm so far from, I'm telling you, if you'll come to an old-fashioned altar and put it all in the hands of God, he will turn it immediately into understanding. And you'll be able to give counsel. Yeah, those three Hebrew children, they said, We will not bow. We don't care what you do with that image. We're not going to bow to your image. He said, If you don't, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. They said, Throw us into the fiery furnace. They said, Number one, our God is able. That's faith in the power of God. And then they were pragmatic. I mean, they were, man, they were full of faith. God is able. And then they said, But he may not do it. And they said, even if he doesn't do it, we're still not going to bow. God is able is faith in his power. God may not is faith in his wisdom. And they grabbed them, and as they're about to throw them into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he said, I want you to heat that fire up. Seven times. If I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm thinking, seven times? I know where this is going. And I know you may be in a fiery furnace right now. And I know it it may be getting hotter. And, and, and you might feel like the pressure, my God have mercy, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. The pressure is getting too much. And you have talked to God recently and said, God, I need a release now. I need a relief valve. I can't take much more. I, I want to just come as a messenger from the Lord in the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name to tell you. The degrees are increasing because it's reaching the temperature where the fourth man shows up. I know. I know it seemed bad at first, but I'm telling you, with every degree, God is seven in you. One degree, the Spirit of the Lord. Two degrees, wisdom. Three degrees, understanding. Four degrees, counsel. Five degrees, strength. Six degrees, knowledge. Seven degrees, the fear of the Lord. You, my God, when God begins to perfect his people, when God begins to complete his people, when God begins to do a perfect work, there is no devil in hell that can defeat you. There is no tyrant that can defeat you. There is no circumstance of this life. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to tell you what he's doing. When he's sevening the saints, he's making you more like Jesus. Hallelujah. See, See, when the spirit of the Lord and, and wisdom and might and counsel and knowledge and understanding and the fear of the Lord get a hold of us and begin to perfect us we become more like Jesus who does not judge after the seeing of his eyes and does not reprove after the hearing of his ears and is of quick understanding. Do you know that when God begins to seven you and add these qualities of his nature to you, do you know it will absolutely remove the gossip out of your mouth It will absolutely wash the slander out of your speech. You will not speak evil of your neighbor any longer. You will not entertain discord for another day. Why? Because he's making you more like himself. He's sevening you. You will... You will be of quick understanding. People won't have to fight for your forgiveness. You will be of quick understanding. People will not have to grovel for your favor. You will be of quick understanding. Look at the beautiful judgment of Jesus. I'm so glad that God is my judge. Because he does not judge after the sight of his eyes like we do. They brought that woman caught in the act of adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is standing there and they're wanting him to be ensnared. They've got stones, they're ready to stone her. This and Moses' law said, she has to be stoned. And, And Jesus is standing there. I don't know what he wrote in the sand. I don't know, nobody knows. I think I know and so do a lot of other people think they know. I'll tell you what I think happened, and I have no way to prove this, so y'all just have to, have to, we'll have to find out in the sweet by and by. But I, I, actually, I actually wonder if he wrote in the sand the, the statute concerning the penalty of her sin as it was written in the law of Moses. Because that law of Moses and how that sin was dealt with was written in a sand of sorts that would be swept away with time. But what was written in stone was, Thou shalt not commit adultery. The penalty for that was written in sand. But the command itself was written in stone. That's just my personal whatever. You can take that or leave it. I don't even know why I talked about that part of it. Because I have no idea. But I just know the nature of God. And I know that when Jesus stood up, he said, Let him that hath no sin cast the first stone because I know what Moses how Moses said to deal with this but I'm going to tell you how we're going to deal with it today. We're going to deal with it in a different way. I'm going to tell you if you if you have if you are qualified to condemn her then cast the first stone. They none of them could because they all had sin. The only one who was qualified to condemn her was Jesus himself and he would not do it. That's why he said, where are thine accusers? She said, Lord, I have none. They've all gone away. He said, neither do I condemn thee. I have power to condemn you, but I will not. And I'm going to tell you why he wouldn't, because he didn't look through these two eyes of humanity and see a sinner, but he looked through the seven eyes of the lamb, and he had one eye on her past one eye on the abuse abuse she had been through and one eye on the on the people that had rejected her and one eye on her good intentions and one eye on the real desire of her heart and one eye on what she was really after. And, and, and yes, he did see the grotesque nature of her sin, so he said, go and sin no more. But i want to tell you something. When somebody experiences the raw mercy of God, they are less likely to sin again. I'm going, to tell, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to just go ahead and posit to you that those who remain in their sins do not have a proper understanding of the mercy of God. Because if you knew just how beautiful and how precious and how sweet His mercy is, you wouldn't want anything this world has to offer you. And he wouldn't have to force you to serve him. He wouldn't have to legislate anything for you to serve him. He wouldn't have to beat you over the head and beg you to serve him. You would look at him and say, you have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of my consecration, my dedication, my devotion, my lifelong service. I was preaching one time, Pastor Church, from the Psalm 136, and I was preaching, and at the end of each one of those verses, there's a beautiful refrain, The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. And I started getting a little uneasy with repeating that so many times. And I thought, I better tell them not to get too carried away with that. And I said, hey, don't think just because his mercy endures forever, you can abuse his mercy. And man, God checked me. God, it was like God smacked me right in the right in the middle of the preaching. My head about spun off my shoulders. It was as if God said to me, Why are you trying to improve on my word? I didn't tell you to say that. Well, you think the psalmist was wrong? What do you 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 think the the Holy Ghost that that gave the unction of that word was was incorrect, was fallible? Who are you? You just tell them. My mercy endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something, when people fall in love with the mercy of God, you won't have to worry, hallelujah, about them abusing. Listen, they're going to abuse it once, but when they come in contact with the love of God that loves them in spite of their mistakes and failures, that's what wins their soul. not here to win people's behavior. We're here to win their soul. Ah. I, I I don't serve him because somebody is pressuring me to serve I serve him because he loved me when nobody else loved me I serve him because he was merciful to me when he could have brought judgment I serve him because he's worthy, he's holy don't you ever forget why you worship him, you worship him because he's worthy you don't worship him because that's what Pentecostals do you don't worship him because that's our culture, Worship him because he alone is worthy of all praise and glory. you let the spirit of God begin to seven the saints and we won't have to try to have unity we won't have to try to not talk bad about each other we won't have to try no when the spirit of God begins to move and seven us and take us through things our words will not produce a fountain that is cursing and blessing Our tongue will not set on fire the course of our nature. That that is full of deadly poison. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm coming to a close, but I need to say this in Jesus' name. The Bible says that we shall speak with new tongues. Now, we know we will speak in other tongues. We know that we will speak in an unknown tongue. That other tongues is an unknown tongue. That happens when we receive the Holy Ghost. Initially, you speak with other tongues. And it is a gift of the Spirit as well. The gift of tongues. But the Bible says that we shall also speak with new tongues. That's different. New tongues is not unknown. New tongues has to do with the new language of a new creature. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I used to be so sharp with my words. My words were sarcastic. You got to get over sarcasm. Sarcasm and sarcoma are very similar. Sarcoma is a cancerous tumor that kills a body. And sarcasm is a cancerous humor that can kill a body. And you've got to step away from that sarcastic, razor-edged tongue that is full of deadly poison is set on fire of hell and sets on fire the course of nature and is responsible for wars and envy and strife. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, guess what? You're right. You don't know how to do that. No man can tame the tongue. It's going to be the sevening of the saints. It's going to be the Holy Ghost getting a hold of you. Yes, you will speak in unknown tongues. But you will also speak in new tongues. New tongues of meekness. New tongues of kindness. New tongues of compassion. New tongues of gentleness. New tongues of peace. New tongues of joy. And you will, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. You will bring unity to this entire region through the new tongues of the body of Christ. Your speech will be always with grace. That you may know how to answer every man. It will be seasoned with salt. Your speech will be seasoned with salt. And you will speak to the most devilish of principalities. And you will subdue them in the name of Jesus. Not by might, not by power. But by the Spirit. My God. Somebody lift your hands and give him praise right now. Come on, give him praise right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, God took you through some things to give you compassion for your brother. God took you through some dark and long valleys to give you compassion and empathy for people around you. You, We are not intimidated by a city like Chicago, like an area like Chicagoland. We are not intimidated by this. We are like the Apostle Paul who walked on Mars Hill. And do you know what? When he looked at all those people worshiping all those those gods that were heathenistic and all those pagan rituals, I'm going to tell you that was a terrible display that he saw. When he saw, he was watching the religious rituals of heathen worship. It was terrible. It was debauched. It was awful. It would cause us to run and hide. But Paul waded through it and went straight to Mars Hill and looked back and said, I perceive that in all things you are too special superstitious. And what he was saying is you are very spiritual. You're reaching for something spiritual. He identified it. He didn't point a finger of condemnation and say you bunch of heathens. What in the world are you doing? Have you lost your mind? No. He knew they were lost. They were undone. They were without God. And they were seeking something spiritual. So he preached to them the unknown God who you ignorantly worship. But I declare him unto you. The Bible said that when he saw the a city given to idolatry his spirit was moved within him and when the sevening of the saints occurs our spirit will be moved for our city and we'll preach and we'll pray and we'll witness and we'll lay hands on and we'll, and we'll counsel and we'll give strength to and we'll, we'll operate in the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge Hallelujah, because God is bringing us into a perfect man, the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let your spirit move right now in this place. Let your spirit move right now in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want somebody that's going through something right now and you don't feel like you can get your head above water. I want you to come down right now and say, Lord, I see what you're doing. You're making something beautiful out of me in the name of Jesus. Come on. I want somebody that's going through a trial of fire right now. I want you to come forward in Jesus' name and say, Lord, I see what you're doing. You're swearing unto me an oath, a promise. Hallelujah. You're swearing unto me an oath, hallelujah, that you will surely bring